to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Lauren? I don't understand the question, and I won't respond to it. And Daniel. <laughs> hey! Today we'll be discussing Season 6, Episode 6, which is titled The Peace of Wild Things. The episode aired on November 11th, 1999. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? A famous death we missed last week, Walter Payton, the legendary Chicago Bears running back who is widely considered to be one of, if not the best players in Bears history, dies due to complications from bile duct cancer. He spent his final months working to raise awareness for the shortage of organ donors in Illinois and the USA. The NFL hands out the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award at the end of each season to honor players who, like Walter, display excellence both on the field and through charitable work for their communities. For some reason, I, I'm a terrible Bears fan in the fact that like I'm always like pretty sure like Brian's song is about Walter oh. Payton. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, I, it's a movie or it's a thing involving bear, the Bears and death. Like and it, I could see where you could make so, that connection. But. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Anyway. The 19th film in the James Bond series, The World Is Not Enough, starring Pierce Brosnan, Denise Richards, Sophie Mercow, and Robert Carlyle, makes its red carpet debut in Los Angeles. My least favorite Pierce Brosnan Bond film. I was going to say, is this the really bad one? The one where he's Oh, no, no, no. No, that's with Halle Berry. That's Die Another Day. That's so bad that it's hilarious, and I love it. Fair enough. This week, though, The Bone Collector, starring Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie, debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. And Smooth by Santana and Robert Thomas continue to... It's Rob Thomas. Robert oh, Thomas. Rob. Oh, whatever. <laughs> that somehow makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's his, his accountant. And Rob Thomas continues to fill the soft rock airwaves and remains the number one song. I saw Daniel, that. what else? <laughs> I saw that in the, in the read and I was like... I was like, Lizzie's just, just fucking around now because she knows this song is going to be up there forever. So she's just going to have to keep changing it every week, you know. Next week it'll be Bob Thomas, you know. Like, we'll just stay we'll tuned sh- next week. <laughs> right. We'll keep finding new ways. Uh, what else is on it? 8 p.m. Friends with the episode The One Where Phoebe Runs. Uh, apparently runs headlong into a rerun because that's what's happening at 8.30. At 9 hey. p.m., Frazier with the episode A Sar Is Born. At 9.30, Stark raving mad with the episode Engaged to be Engaged. This week's Lauren, episode... Oh, sorry. Lauren was, like, nodding at the I was nodding in his, No, I was nodding at his pronunciation. Ah, I was okay. giving I him encouragement. I thought you, had, I thought you knew the Positive affirmation the on, on Sar. Yeah. Also, I was I was really mad because I read that Stark Raving Mad when it first is like engaged to be enraged or something, and I was like, we missed an opportunity there. Like, Darn. it could have been so... Darn it. Robert Thomas strikes again. That was, that was a what thing, else? It was a thing in a movie, and I'm trying to remember what it, uh, which movie it was. The engaged to be like somebody's yeah. like, oh, so you're engaged, and he's like, no, well, we're engaged to be engaged, and I just can't remember off the top of my head what movie it is, and it's gonna drive me crazy the rest of the night. Um, but in any event, this week's episode had 28.5 million viewers tuning in, and is directed by Richard Thorpe, doing his tenth of 31. Uh, previous one of his we talked about last season was Nobody Doesn't Like Amanda Lee. And this week's episode is written by showrunner John Wells, doing his 17th out of 32. Uh, first time we are seeing him since The Storm, parts one and two from last season. And we are once again Lucas. Three weeks uh, in a row now, I think, uh, since uh, he joined 
Uh, which... I feel like we're going to work him in next week, but, though. But we also <laughs> have to remember that they said, like, he didn't need to show up anymore. Yeah. True. Because they, they had did. Gabe. Yeah. yeah. They had Gabe. So I would imagine starting next week, we might be seeing him a little bit more, uh, seeing as we're losing one Alan Alda and maybe uh, Genie as well. Who knows? Um, but we open this week's episode on some rainy L steps. Uh, Carter and Carrie are coming down together. Uh, cute umbrella banter. What what qualifies just, as cute umbrella banter? They're just like, um, he's just. They're just talking about like Carrie's umbrella is useless and just just stuff with it being the windy city. Like I can't keep an umbrella alive. So I was just like, it's it's great that it, that they're actually like talking about like how shitty it is to try and have a useful umbrella in Chicago. Fair enough. So just it is it is its own trick. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. I think actually <laughs> the one umbrella I think we do own at the moment, I think we actually got in Chicago because we found ourselves in Chicago caught in a rainstorm without an umbrella. And so we ducked into like a TJ Maxx or something. And we have this like insanely gaudy, uh, like cheetah print umbrella <laughs> that we... it's it's always those that survive. It's never the one pretty ones you much. Want. And it's not even like one of those little like travel umbrellas. It's one of those big, obnoxious, like three foot tall uh... ones. Yeah. So the ones you could add a sword in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Carrie uh, mentions that it's a perfect start to what's bound to be a perfect day. And if that ain't a mood for Lauren and I today, I don't know what is. Uh, they are immediately interrupted by the first trauma of the episode, a 92 year old patient being brought in by the via the ambulance bay with COPD uh, and increased smoke inhalation, no evidence of facial burns. There was a fire in a nursing home, according to Mark. This episode is jam-packed with shit. Yep. And we find out no nobody is running the admit desk. Uh, Steve called in sick, and Randy bailed at the end of her shift. And um, Carrie's like, well, what the fuck? Why'd, why'd she go? And Halei goes, I'm not her keeper. If you want to bitch at someone, bitch at her. There's a lot of cursing in this episode. I, I really appreciate Halei there. Uh, we find out Jeannie has also called out today, and she apparently hasn't been in much the past couple weeks anyway. And... Carrie throws her umbrella in frustration at the desk when she hears this. I I have a question. Yes. Who is Steve? Like, did I miss something? No, <laughs> like, no you didn't. Steve's a radiologist is taking shifts as a clerk. You know, maybe that's what a radiologist. I think I, they were really just putting a random name in there because Jerry's gone. Yeah. Who yeah, boy is is his present or his absence? I should say is his absent never felt more than in this episode. Mm-hmm. This is. But it's okay. We get we get. Some A tier comedy from from his from a from the temp this mm. time around though so okay um, but let's go to our first of uh, nine it, yeah nine Many. audio clips yeah we have a it's an audio heavy episode but it's totally worth it um, first one we're gonna start off with is uh, Benton with Jackie and Reese at their home or at Jackie's house you have basketball practice or are you coming straight home I have practice you about ready yeah. Morning. Morning. Where's your backpack? Mm-hmm. It's in the upstairs bathroom on top of the toilet, and you dumped your basketball stuff on the basement steps. You want to end up in the washer? You put it in the basket. She can hit a 20-foot fade and jumper, but she can't get within 10 yards of the hamper. You got a minute? Not really. Yeah, uh... Carla told me that Reese might not be mine. What are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. I believe her with everything that's going on. <laughs> that bitch. 
What the hell is the matter with her? Jackie. No, no. Everything she's put you through and she isn't even sure? I'm sorry. But I don't know what's worse. That she's always known or she's just doing this to get Reese. Well, I got a paternity test. I, uh, I haven't taken it yet. How long does it take? I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to do it. You have to. What if I'm not his father, huh? What are you going to do? Wait till he gets older, Peter? He's bound to find yeah, out. Yeah, I know. I... Yeah, and then he's going to know that you've lied to him. Uh, first off, I want—I just want that rain noise just playing ambiently through the rest <laughs> of this episode because it's so good. Second, uh, wasn't Jackie the one who tried to set them up to begin with? That's true. Yeah. But I do love her. <laughs> that bitch. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Just perfect. Lays, lays it uh, right on her. I love how her reaction isn't like, what? She's just like, huh. All right, what you doing about it? Yeah. Very, very pragmatic. I do I do sort of think, and it, you know, I'm not a child of adoption. I've never really, you know, had much personal experience with it, but I do feel like they might be sort of slightly overstating the importance of whether or not Benton is actually his father. Like there is a difference between biological parentage and like emotional bonded father figures or, or mother figures or whatever. Like the only example I have to draw from is a friend I had years ago who had a son who was the product of like a short term high school relationship. Like she had him when she was like, you know, 17, 18, something like that. And the kid was coming of an age of like, he was, I think like 12, 13 and his whole life up to that point, um, he had been led to believe that her ex-husband was his biological father. And she then was grappling with the decision of whether or not to tell this kid, you know, that, no, actually your dad is, you know, this guy that I did in high school and we haven't kept in touch. And, you know, I don't really know much about him or where he is or anything like that. And she was like, she, she was a neighbor of mine. And so like, she agonized about this decision. We talked about it a few times and like, just this went on for like months. And then when she finally got around to telling him, the kid basically like shrugged and was like, can I go play video games? Like he did not care at all because the guy he knew to be his dad his whole life was still there and he still had the same relationship with him he just it was just like a total nothing burger for the kid and i feel like that would be kind of a similar situation here for reese like benton is reese's dad whether the Mm -hmm. dna matches up or not it doesn't really matter so yeah then we go in with some bangs right after that thunderclap and uh we have carol checking in on meg um and Meg says she is still working at the pharmacy. Carol says that she is positive for a bladder infection and pressures her more about getting into rehab. And Meg says, no, it's fine. It's fine. I stopped using about five days ago. This whole storyline. I honestly, honestly, like when I was like looking through the notes today, I was like, we watched this episode two days ago, except for the very end of the Mm -hmm. episode. I forgot everything about this it it, kind of gets a little lost in the shuffle like i said at the top there's a lot in this episode it is jammed to the gills yeah uh but we go back to the hospital carrie is trying to get back up from another hospital clerks doctors whatever she can get her hands on uh gentleman at the desk is trying to get her attention and malik refuses to help him um points at carrie and she slams the phone down just says twerp which (laughs) is Uh, I love I love Carrie so much, um, and we find out uh, Andrew 
This gentleman's name is Andrew, and he's a attempt desk clerk here to help out. Played by? Played by uh, the creatively named, also Andrew, <laughs> uh, Andrew Bowen, uh, who was in stuff like All for Nikki, the 716th. He was the voice of Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat 11. Uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, the TV series Mad TV, which he's probably best known from there, mm-hmm. uh, as we will see in this episode for his impression work. Uh, and this, he is making his first of three appearances starting with this episode. Uh, to... I didn't realize he had more than one because I just remember like th- I just yeah. remember all of his uh, impressions from this episode. Yeah, this is um, well, this was the mystery man that we talked about last season when we were talking about desk clerks that one episode. And we were like, remember, there's going to be this guy who shows up and he does impressions. Mm. That was that was this guy. And uh, especially now, as I'm watching the episode, like I can see why. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's very talented when it comes to the impression work. But I'm not at all surprised that this was a short term experiment and that this doesn't really go anywhere. (laughs) because it just we'll get into it as we go along but i'm not a it huge. adds some levity to this episode though which it which this episode definitely needs yeah yeah and uh carrie tells malik to call anyone to come in if they still want a job she is carrie's on the warpath i also love how she's like well you're a clerk so clerk right yeah you don't you don't really need me to explain very much about this uh but then we go to the hallway where we see an old woman looking for her husband barry uh, she's also walking. She has like a firefighter's jacket on, so she's clearly part of the fire, uh, nursing home fire uh, trauma that's ongoing. Um, but doesn't really appear injured herself. Uh, so Carter runs into her in the hallway and is going to help her find her husband. We find that he is in the trauma room being worked on by Mark and Lily. Uh, and our old woman here is, uh, we find out in a minute, her name is Mrs. Connolly, and she's played by actress Amzi or Amzi Strickland. Uh, and she uh, appeared in stuff like Pretty Woman, Doc Hollywood, and an ancient TV series, Matinee Theater. Uh, she's making her first of two appearances. Uh, she has 270 credits to her name, uh, and as you might imagine from her age in this episode, did pass away in 2006. Uh, 270? Yeah, this lady was prolific. Um, and uh, you may recognize her because she will be returning to us, as I said, first of two appearances. She will be a patient in uh, a certain two-part episode to come later in the season. Uh, oh, no. She will be involved in that whole situation, which we will get into in the listener responses at the end. Somebody brought it up. So uh, there's also a 78-year-old woman with a laceration. Uh, and as Gabe is coming in the door with uh, somebody, I forget who he's standing Carol, there with. I Carol, think. yeah. He's like, I should have had that extra coffee this morning. Um, we go over to Dave is working on the COPD patient. He has a 101.2 temperature. And Dave's kind of grasping at straws trying to figure out what's going on. And Hale is trying to give him tips on what to look for. He's like, oh, crackling. It's pneumonia. And she goes, not much gets by you, Dr. Dave. <laughs> and he, already, he starts talking about treatment. And she tells him exactly what to prescribe for the pneumonia. For the pneumonia, for the pneumonia, has it written on the chart already and just has him sign it. <laughs> I love when Hale gets to flex her muscles, like when she's like, "Look, man, I know this shit," but because this is an this is totally something that I have heard Nurse Jen describe as when like the new residents come in through the ER and the nurses most often know better than the med students and the residents when they come through like they've they've seen it that they're coming in all like wide-eyed and terrified and don't know how to do anything and it's the nurses that are like holding their hand and guiding them through everything 
Well, let's keep the levity going with our second audio clip. Uh, Carol's and Malik are at the desk with Andrew. You know, uh, Andy does imitations. Ask him. Imitations, huh? Well, I'm better at improv, you know, Second City. This is just my day job. Yo, man, do Keanu Reeves, man. No. Oh, come on, do something, man. Go ahead. It's all good. Whoa. So you're a little pregnant, huh? <laughs> all right. You picked a name for the little dude yet? No, no, I haven't. Well, how about Leif? Or Booty? Or Keanu? Keanu was a most excellent name. <laughs> That's very good. Malik, did you get a hold of Jeannie? Yeah, she said she couldn't make it in. She hasn't made it in all week. Call her again. Tell her to come in here. If not to work, then to explain to me why I shouldn't fire her. That Keanu Reeves impression lives rent-free in my head. It's so it's so well done for 90s Keanu, especially. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, it's it's very much an of-its-time of uh, impression. Yeah. Hmm. I just, lo- I just love that and wanted to throw it in. Have Jeannie come down. Or explain why Ooh. she shouldn't be fired. Yeah. <laughs> Jeannie. And, yeah, that little tidbit at the end. And a light bulb thing goes off above Jeannie's head of like, hmm, you're right. I think I quit. Yep. Uh, Dave and Lucy are talking in, I, I put down the suture room, but they call it later the lab, I guess. It's basically, it's, it's, yeah. the, it's in the area. It's the suture room. Yeah. Uh, L- Lucy's wearing some cute pigtails. Of course, I had to note it or some braids or whatever. They are exceptionally cute. Yep. Thank you, Lizzie. Uh, Dave is bragging about the pneumonia diagnosis and how well he caught it. And uh, Lucy points out that Halle ratted him out already. Good try. And also, while they're in here, um, she mentions that the Bunsen burner is still on and that he has to wriggle it a little bit to turn it off. Whoop. Whoop. Uh-oh. That won't be a thing at all. No, 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 no. no. Chekhov's Bunsen burner. <laughs> we go from there to, uh, back to Barry and his wife in the trauma room. Uh, he is not getting enough oxygen and needs to be intubated. Uh, Lauren? Whose films are those? Carter says uh, that there is a slim chance that he'll improve, but does give like a, like, he's like, yes, there's a slight chance, like, but he doesn't sugarcoat it and he doesn't try to like give this lady too much false hope. She still takes away false hope, but it's not for lack of trying on Carter's part, which is an incredible growth moment. And definitely in my mind paralleled um, Ruby and his wife. Yeah. And Carter learned his lesson for sure. I was really happy to see that you put that in the notes because I was thinking the exact same thing as I was watching. I was like, they don't come right out and say it or he doesn't, you know, doesn't have to refer to it. But it is just a, a huge parallel between uh, what happened with Ruby and his wife. So, And especially when she keeps trying to be like, well, there could be, right? And he's like, mm-mm. Not really, mm, yeah. Not really, yeah. He doesn't He doesn't uh, pussyfoot around it. Yeah. And, uh, oof. Be ready, friends. No. With the hard-hitting shit. No, but let's go. Uh, Gabe is working with a 98-year-old delusional woman. Uh, he says he lost his reading glasses yesterday when I was look, trying to look at the chart. And have we ever seen Gabe wearing glasses when reading? I didn't think so, but I could have been wrong because later in the episode he does wear them. So I don't think I'd ever seen them, but listeners, correct me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the old woman is just uh, it's every uh, just I, it's just heartbreaking, yeah. and she's like just she's just like yelling, "Help me, help me!" Yeah, I forget the exact wordage, but she keeps repeating the same wordage she, over and over and she, over again. She clearly doesn't know who or where she is. Yeah, and Gabe walks into the hall, clearly very extremely distressed, and uh, walks away from Carrie in the hall. Yep. <sighs> This whole episode, it's just, it's, it's fucked. It's, it, it, yeah, okay. Um, 
Mark thinks they're getting ahead of the traumas finally when he and Carrie are talking and they go, you smell gas? And Carrie's like, well, shit, and has Malik clear out the hall. And Mark walks into that back area and says, definitely stronger in here. And then a large explosion knocks Mark face first into the ground, into all the shattered glass. Sprinklers and alarms go off. Good to know everything's still working in county. And we come back from commercial right after that to Gabe examining Mark and his eardrums are good. No permanent hearing loss, it looks like. And I love that Mark says, no, I would have had uh, worse damage from standing front row at the Clash concerts. <laughs> Lol. Uh, but it turns out they think someone left a Bunsen burner on. Uh-oh. And when they mm-hmm. mention this, uh, Dave and Lucy side-eye each other. Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. A uh, little bit of uh, continuity change, maybe, or I don't know if it would necessarily be a continuity error it could have been something that had been installed since but if you'll recall back in i think like season two three at the absolute latest uh there was also a fire and it was mentioned that county doesn't have sprinklers because it's an older building uh so oh someone got fired for that mm, but they could have you know up done some upgrading to the building and you know changed some things so who knows but uh i just for some reason, what just popped into my head was the fucking... It's, what's the thing? The ship of Theseus or whatever? Where it's like, if you change out all the parts yep. of something, is yep. it still the same thing? Mm. Yep. And, like, the ER just slowly is like that because parts of it explode, parts of it get shot <laughs> yeah, at. that's parts true. Of it. <laughs> yeah. Good, good, good job. Nice parallel. Good job. There you go. Uh, well, Romano shows up and asks, what the hell is going on? Uh, that he heard the explosion Naturally. all the way up on the fourth floor, as you might imagine. Uh, we go to Carter's next patient. He's examining a boy with abdominal pain, a 12-year-old. He uh, split a pizza last night for dinner with his dad, who is uh, here with him. Uh, Carter <laughs> Carter asks the child if he's married because he's big for his age, which is, you know. This, mm, 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 yeah, there, mm, there's mm. a lot. There's a lot to unpack with this, uh, and another one that will come back uh, a little bit later in the season. But we'll get into that as well. Um, the child here, Eddie, is played by actor Ben Hecht, whose only other appearances of any kind as an actor were in the TV series Freaks and Geeks and Seventh Heaven, and he's making his first of two appearances uh, here as Eddie. Uh, and Dad is much more recognizable to me. Dad's actor is one of those warm and fuzzy actors for me that anytime he shows up in something, I just get happy because he's just a nice guy in almost everything he's in. Uh, Tom McGowan, who appeared in stuff like Ghost World, Sleepless in Seattle, and one of my all-time favorite 90s movies, Heavyweights, uh, where he plays the uh, camp counselor uh, in Heavyweights. I've still never seen that movie. It's actually pretty worth it. But here's a weird one he, for any of you musical fans out there. He also played the wizard in Wicked on Broadway. Well, there you go. Which oh. is really cool to me because I absolutely adore that musical. This is one of those side stories that I have no idea why. It's not particularly like it's, it's like it's not like it's not like well done, but like it's there's really no reason for this to particular thing to stick into my head but like mm-hmm. as soon as this guy showed up i was like oh we're watching er now yeah okay like <laughs> yeah I'm... like my my again i'm triggering a lot of, a lot of my earliest memories of watching this like with my mom yeah like actual like taking in and latching on to the episodes like a lot of that's being a lot of those memories are being triggered or jogged or however you want sure to put it. He, he the dad was also in frazier 
There you go. For 42 See, episodes. Yeah. He was he was definitely, like I said, a, a prime 90s, oh, hey, it's that guy, and appears to still be fairly active today. Um, and Lizzie, I would say Heavyweights is definitely something that's worth checking out because it is a v- extremely heartfelt and fairly, like, body positive, uh, like, despite its despite its yeah, uh, title it's, like and its premise. Yeah, it's, it's good. It has a very heartfelt okay. message, and it, and it uh, has the, like, prototype version of ben stiller's character from dodgeball like it's it's Ooh. the primordial version of that character in arguably a better way um okay he's done a bunch of broadway stuff what the hell he's a good actor like he, I, yeah. I really like him i just i can't picture him being able to sing so that's that's just bizarre to me that he's been in chicago and wicked this is but. stay tuned for more of the Tom McGowan podcast, but I don't care. Whatever <laughs> we go from there. Connie is bringing in an ice cream cake for Carol's surprise baby shower. Mm-hmm. Uh, finds reading glasses in the freezer and Carrie immediately recognizes them as Gabe's and the nurses comment on how weird how, on some of the weird places that they've left their glasses. So, Which when have we ever seen most, if not all of the nurses wear glasses? Connie, I think, once or twice. I Maybe, think yeah, but everybody else, I don't know. Yeah, either way. Uh, let's go up to the... Uh, is her office on the operating floor? Who I knows? would guess Probably so. Is. Um, ben is up in uh, Corday's office to chat. And wait, and just before we did, Lauren had a statement. Whoa, she has a real office. Yeah, that was no Duh, lie. she would, but still. <laughs> hey, you got a minute? Yeah, I wish I had. We can talk while I work, if you like. Nice office. Yeah. You have to admire the method to his madness, no matter how sociopathic. Who? Romano, this office. Sorry, you wanted to talk? Slumming amongst we simple surgical folk, Dr. Benton? We were just discussing a patient. Oh, nothing that was taking Peter away from the electrifying excitement of trauma medicine, I hope. Because I've got a uh, hernia scheduled for tomorrow in the AM, and I was going to be tied up with a breakfast meeting with the insurance people. I was hoping you could take it for me. It's a bit early, 6 o'clock. In the morning? Yeah. Early bird catches the worm. Seems one of the more advanced members of your ER brain trust blew up the lab. The boys from the insurance company are rightly concerned about hospital safety. Did anyone get hurt? Yeah, your boyfriend got his hair mussed a bit. Mark? Yeah, but he uh, bounced right back. Have to hand it to him. He is a scrapper. He's deaf as a post. I understand that's uh, probably temporary. Oh, oh, um, Lizzie. How much would you pay for my sperm? Uh, I beg your pardon. Oh, is that sexual harassment? Oh, oh my. Oh, no. I'm being um, recruited by the Marshall Hilberg Sperm Bank. It's, uh, its donors include Olympic athletes and Nobel Prize winners. It's an elite gene pool. And they want you? Yeah, yeah it's a little embarrassing, actually, uh, but it's for a good cause. I mean, who knows what the mother's side's going to bring to the party, but as for my side of the genetic divide, I can guarantee a significant advantage over the rest of the spermic competition. Can't have too many extra Romanos running around spicing up the gene pool, can we? I love it. Just, what would you pay for my sperm? <laughs> Questions that should, can and should get you fired immediately in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually having a conversation with a listener the other day uh, about uh, could the could the character of Romano and by the by extension ER itself exist in 2022 or would would romano's sort of just general nature have gotten the show you know for lack of a better word canceled i'm gonna i'm gonna use the medical show that we we love to hate to talk about but there is a romano light character on um 
grays that, that they do a pretty good job having him be kind of the modern equivalent of what Romano would be. Oh, McSteamy? No, not Mc, well, McSteamy and um, Cray, the um, the one that that uh, Teddy has the fling with. Oh, Krasik. Yeah, Krasik. Yeah. If yeah, like if, Roma- if, Rom- yeah. if Romano was split into two different nuts, one would be McSteamy and one would be Krasik. Yeah, I guess, but he's he's a, I consider him a more well-rounded character. Well, that's why I said Romano light. Fair enough. Okay. But like, yeah, they they take there's a lot of those sharp edges of the brusqueness and mm-hmm. some of the other stuff in him just being kind of a sleaze. But then, unlike Romano, they actually round him out. So I feel like he could, but they'd have they have to do a little bit more work to earn him staying. Yeah, I th- I think because I think too often when we have conversations like that, which, by the way, is an incredibly tired line of thinking for just about anything of like, could you make X today or could you do like I'm I'm just very like it doesn't work. It, it, right, it's a it's it's an apples and oranges comparison. It's it's a stupid, um, you know, thing to to think. And also too, I'm sort of like disillusioned with the whole concept of cancel culture as a thing like just as like it's a not as big of a deal as people make it out to be and b anytime it is brought up in any sort of like online discourse it's always in the it's always without applying any level of context to the group of people you're talking about so like or the, nuance right the people who you know ostensibly would take offense to a character like a romano in a modern show Again, it's all in how the character is portrayed. It, the, no, I don't think anybody is saying that you can't have a character like Romano in a show in 2022, but it's how the character is portrayed. Is he portrayed to be a fucking moron? Is he portrayed to be wrong time and time again? Those are the things that are most important. It's not the words that he's saying. It's the fact that he suffers real consequences or suffer has is proven wrong by the story or the narrative or the events. Like, I don't know. Not to, like, get too much on a soapbox about this, but, like, it just... Sometimes it, it irritates me when we get into the, like, online discourse TM about, you know, oh, it couldn't do X, Y, Z today. It would get canceled. Like, it's just kind of a silly one-dimensional argument. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, like, what we talked about as far as nuance goes with my uh, most improved character nomination. Like, yeah, you can have Romano as a most improved character, but what what is your context for it? Sure. Like you can argue almost anything, but and I don't. I wish I wish it wasn't cancel culture. I wish it was. I wish it was called consequence culture. Right. Because that's so much more apt to name. Right. It's like no, you're not being canceled. These are consequences. The free market is doing its work, and you're losing money because people might not like what you're saying. Amen. But Lauren, but Lauren. Yes. This one of the biggest star. Uh, star quarterbacks in the entire NFL is being silenced by having a weekly what? slot on one of the most popular football podcasts in the in the country. Why do you have to pick that one? Don't you know that it's a sore <laughs> subject? I'm still processing my loss, okay? Like that is So so then Carrie goes to talk to Gabe in in uh, radiology where he's examining some x-rays and she gives him his glasses. And she, like, tries to have a meaningful chat with him there. But, as always, masterclass in deflection. And we go over to Carol asking for a prescription for Keflex from Cleo to give to Meg. And even though she's not a patient, which I'm sure is probably not legal, um, yeah, Carol just says, I'm going to get her a script and hope she fills it. Okay. Nope. You're, yeah. You're just 
just Doug's little demon spawn are really working their way through you right now, aren't they, Carol? She's just in being. She's just infused with the product of Doug's DNA. I was say. So much so that it's just affecting her brain. That that umbilical cord goes both ways. Like, Ugh. oh God. <laughs> We go from there back to the trauma room. Carter is in uh, again with Barry and his wife. Uh, The heart failure is making him sicker. Uh, He's trying to encourage her to just let him pass peacefully uh, and asks her about the possibility of signing a DNR uh, so that they can just kind of put this put this to an end here. Um, And she she seems, you know, somewhat receptive to obviously very upset by this turn of events, but uh, seems somewhat receptive to it. So we will circle back to these two a little later. Just let him have a gentle and dignified death. Yep. Can't ask for much more than that. Let's go to our next audio clip. Uh, Carrie's visiting a, another hospital that Gabe used to work at. So, hmm. Excuse me, Dr. Spielman's office? Yeah, uh, third floor, make a left past the MRI suite. Dr. Spielman. Carrie, my God, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Ah, still sacrificing yourself at the altar of the indigent down at County. Battling windmills is more like it. Please, want some tea? No, thanks. No, thanks. So you moved uh, the office around a little bit. Yeah, when we put in the MRI suite, what a mess. So what brings you to our humble digs? Job hunting, I hope. Uh, No, Gabe Lawrence. You let him go a couple of months ago? He left this town, yes. I heard it was politics, a, a bit of a palace coup. <laughs> With big cast is Iago, I suspect. I was wondering if that's what really happened. Gabe Lawrence was my closest friend, my mentor, my teacher, and the finest doctor I've ever had the privilege to work with. His leaving was the most trying experience of my career. I hired him at county. I hadn't heard that. Renee, I need to know, should I be concerned about the safety of my patients with Dr. Lawrence on my staff? Shit's getting real, folks. There's several things here. One, I want to note that uh, I think German has forever ruined me because I see her name spelled out and I want to say Spielman. (laughs) Not Spielman. Okay. Noted. Two. Um, Daniel, I'll let you get to your note about the actress first, and then I'll say my second comment. Uh, yeah, the actress here, Dr. Spielman, is played by actress Gail Strickland, who is in stuff like The American President, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and How to Make an American Quilt. Uh, and as you uh, may have noticed in the, the clip there, she has a very distinctive voice um, and a very distinctive kind of way of talking. Um, she has a disorder called spasmodic dysphonia, which uh, gives her voice kind of this distinctive breathy sound to it. Like as I was watching it, I was like, I almost was like, did, is, is this 80 yard? Like it, it almost sort of, yeah, is the full, is the Foley work just kind of bad? Yeah. Or? Cause it was, it sort of felt like she was not in the room saying, but the mm-hmm. words match up perfectly with her lips. So, I mean, if it is 80 yard, it's incredibly well done 80 yard. Cause it matches up perfectly. But um, it, 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 I think has more to do with the, the condition that she has that it just, um, and apparently it's somewhat of a progressive thing where like, and I think there's also a, um, I can't, I'm blanking on her name, but there's an NPR um, host who I think suffers from a similar, um, uh, similar condition. And I shouldn't say suffers from, but, but has the same condition or something similar to it. And again, has that same very kind of distinctive voice and way of talking. So um, one, 
notes had me so far up my ass. I didn't even hear this the first time. This audio clip was the first time I realized there was anything strange. Um, and two, again, County does not do any fucking reference checks before they hire someone. <laughs> well, we get into that a little later. I know. I'm just saying. Come on, guys. Um, so then Carrie runs back to the ER looking for Gabe, and he is in with Dave working on a stab wound trauma. Um, and Gabe asks Dave, how fast are you at sewing? And Dave responds back, blink and you'll miss it. Which, mm, excellent, excellent cocky young doctor there. I love it. But um, as Gabe sees Carrie run in, he brags to Dave about how great and smart Carrie is. And he asks her what process he'd use next and kind of like, oh, yep, that's the one. And how would I do it? Like quizzing her like he would a student. Um, and she watches him do this whole thing with Dave, absolutely horrified. But he does it. He does it mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Like everything's fine. Dude's um, chest is just cracked wide open. Yeah. Like really great prop work. <sighs> yep. Which I, again, take it for granted. I was so engrossed on like what else was happening that I didn't even take a minute for this next part when... Uh, Gabe says, don't look at the monitor, look at the heart. And you and, Gabe, and as Dave looks down, you see a beating human heart in a chest cavity. Didn't even didn't even bat my eyes at that. Yep. But yes, amazing, amazing prop yep. work there. That, my friend, is normal sinus. Yep. And you'll never get to see it in the chest. So it was. it's a really, really cool sequence, but it's just like, it shows how, you know, how inconsistent one's symptoms can be mm-hmm. and how you can go from clear as day to leaving your glasses in the freezer without any warning. Right. Just like throughout throughout a day. And and you're never going to know when it's going to. And too it goes to show like it, it, there's just so much in this scene like it goes to show that like like you said the inconsistency in the disease and also like how good of a teacher he still can be even if he shouldn't yeah he should not be taking care of patients no but he can still be an incredible asset to students and and teaching you know the next generation of doctors which you know of course they get into that a little bit later um and also too it is this like one last window for carrie to get to view him the same way she's always viewed him you know before that has to change like before that has to like the dynamic of their relationship has to change forever. And it's this like one perfect moment for her to just get to like, still see him as like this, her idol, basically like yeah. her idol, her mentor, like everything that he's always been to her. She gets one last time to see it in this like perfect moment. Yeah. Um, then from there we go over to Yoshi and Chuni gossiping over who the last person was using the Bunsen burners. They think it was Cleo. Ooh. Um, Peter is looking for an exam room with Reese. Andrew tells him, as Christopher Walken, to use exam one. And then he says, as Christopher Walken, have fun storming the castle, which irks me to no end because it needs to be Billy Crystal, not Christopher Walken. Thank you, Princess Bride. You didn't say that as Christopher Walken, though. Of course I didn't, because <laughs> I can't. Have fun storming the castle. His That's a horrible impression. But <laughs> See, and I think I think his Christopher Walken is better than his Keanu Reeves. Like, his Keanu Reeves. It is. I don't, really, I don't really care for his Keanu Reeves nearly as much as his Christopher Walken. I was like. His Christopher Walken is great, but it irks me because that needs to be Billy Crystal. And we said we thought that was part of the joke was that he didn't realize that it was one or the other but i'm just like no as someone who loves princess bride this much i want to hear him do a billy crystal impression <laughs> god damn it ah well well let's go over to exam one uh it's time for our opportunity test and reese we take for granted just how fucking cute Reese <laughs> is sometimes but 
Holy shit, his tiny little sweater and those little sneakers. His little Nikes. Yeah. This is this is just, ducky levels of cute. Yeah, just Reese, we love you. <laughs> we appreciate you and everyone just wants to give you a night give you a hug. Um but yeah, Reese is being the best little trooper as uh as Benton kinda like demonstrates like, hey, hey, yeah, here's what's going on. It doesn't hurt. Here and then does it to does when, it to Reese when he holds the swab up to Reese's mouth and his little mouth just mm-hmm. opens a little bit? I was like, ah! I love I love after Benton does his swab and everything and like he and he's like, see, doesn't hurt, you know, no big deal. And mm-hmm. then you see Reese, he points at the next one, like, all right, my turn, me, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. my turn, yeah. But well, yeah, just of note, just how fucking great Eric LaSalle and. I, I forget the child actor's yeah. uh, name. Matthew, but... I think. Watkins, I think, is his yeah. last name. Yeah. But, it... <laughs> but just how great they are together. It makes me wonder, too, like, how many takes they did of that where it was just him yeah. going, like, yeah, now we do this, right? Like, we've done this seven times already. Like, I got it. You do the thing, and then they're you so... get the other thing. It's great. They're they're so good together, though. They like, their, their, their acting chemistry is part of what makes Reese and Benton mm-hmm. so believable as like the the core of Benton's life and makes it so makes it makes the storyline that much better right because and of I'm it. so glad too that they managed to keep the same I mean barring you know proto baby Reese's yeah. once we get <laughs> once we once we get real baby Reese here once we get Matthew Watkins I'm so glad that they were able to keep that consistent throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the series that anytime you know when Benton does show back up in in season 15 that it's Matthew Watkins that's with him. It's, it's still, not some rando yeah. that they found, you know, it's, it's the same kid and now he's grown up and we get to, you know, we get as the audience get to appreciate the culmination of that growth arc, you know, the literal growth mm-hmm. arc in his case. But, uh, but we go from there. Uh, Carol goes to the pharmacy to give uh, Meg her prescription, uh, finds her out back uh, on her break, talking to a guy, presumably about drugs think it's based on their their body language it's pretty easy to uh, assume that's what they're talking about uh she's also smoking as you do uh carol shames her about getting knocked up if she's not going to take care of things uh in kind of again kind of the white knight carol thing of just like assuming everything before she knows all the facts like because who's to say this was a consensual again maybe she was raped who knows like she doesn't have all the information on this and she's kind of a little bit on her high horse. But Yeah. Are Carol Hathaway in this economy? No. Um, but then Lucy tells Dave that he needs to tell Weaver it was his fault read the explosion because she knows he was the last one in there to use the Bunsen burner. Um Carter asks Cleo about the twelve year old from earlier and if he can get her opinion on it. And then Cleo starts talking about how you know, fat kids are sedentary, and all they do is play video games and eat shit. So of course they have diabetes. Fun. Just mm, I, I understand there are certain things that can make, you know, risk factors higher, and I understand that you know it's obviously better to be active, and it's obviously better to try and eat quote cleaner or whatever. But the level that it is here drives me insane i mean like she acts like it's a character fault for this child yeah like when she was doing this i was just like looking down i'm like oh i'm kind of fat i'm mostly sedentary i play a lot of video games i mean this is definitely very much in line with the 1999 attitude towards this because of course video games are in full effect like full that this is kind of like yeah we're we're back from the uh 
the crash of the 80s like the video game phenomenon is at its absolute peak at this point and yeah. that's and it's the demon for everything like kids are kids mm-hmm. are more sedentary they're supposedly more violent yet at the same time like it's you know which but, is it are they sitting on the couch or are they going out and shooting people which is it i think this this drives me nuts because as a fat seven eight year old you know as a you know pudgy kid yeah this was the narrative i grew up with Mm-hmm. same and it was it was that demonization of like oh yeah because you're fat you're gonna get diabetes i'm not here for it cleo you're better than this we need we need compassion in our care, not this shit. On that lovely note, let's go to uh, let's go to another audio clip. Uh, Carrie and Mark were talking about Gabe. I'd heard that Gabe had lost a power struggle with Renee Spielman over some junior staff tenure issues. And you never checked when you hired him. Hey, I have known Gabe Lawrence my entire career. He trained me. He's the reason I became an ER doc. When I heard that he was forced out, I jumped at the chance to hire him. You jumped at the chance to impress him, student hires teacher. Okay. Spielman suspected signs of early Alzheimer's, but when she asked him to undergo neurological testing, he he blew up and he quit. He hasn't spoken to her ever since. You have to fire him. No, she wasn't sure. His inability to cope with stress, wandering around the halls because he can't remember where he's going. He's always been scattered. He could endanger the patients. Mark, I don't know if I can do it. I, 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 I mean, I, I love him like a father. I don't know if I can fire him. Carrie. Can we give Carrie a hug, too, this episode? Oof. Please. She needs one. Needs one bad. Just, just give Reese a hug. Give uh, Carrie a hug. Just give everyone hugs. Mm. What an interesting parallel to Mark's reaction is with where we'll be in just, like, what? not even two years like we're gonna we're gonna be in a really the shoe's gonna be on the other foot at that point and that's gonna be really really interesting to see how that all plays out you know week to week for sure uh so then cleo goes to talk to the father re regarding the diabetes um with his son and we find out he's not insured right now and his and the kids meds would be about a hundred dollars a month plus monitoring and clinic visits for you know specialists and different uh, nutritionists and things um his new job wouldn't kick in benefits for three more months and if the son is diagnosed now the new insurance may not cover it because it will be listed as a pre-existing condition and dad is trying to see if he can just get the kid to lose weight and change diet and like just get better behaviors right now as a stopgap without the diagnosis until he can come back after his um, benefits have kicked in. But remember, folks, the American healthcare system is the best in the world. Couldn't yeah. possibly it's be the better. Kids, it's the kid's fault. Exactly. How dare he be the fa- the son of a father who didn't have a job for a and, little while. And, you know, God forbid he be genetically predisposed to be a little heavier. Yeah, totally his fault. He used to stop buying avocado toast and pull stuff up by, by his bootstraps. Oh, my God. And then Barry is having abnormal heart rhythms. And his poor wife looks at Carter and asks, how much longer? Not not to belabor the soapbox too much going back to the insurance thing. But, like, how have – like, not that I don't I, – I, of course, support universal health care across the board in, uh, in not only America but in every country across – the world but how has there never been any traction gained for even just like universal health care through age 18 like why are children why are their parents charged for anything that happens I have no from idea. birth through age 18 like that to me 
is fucking wild that we've never gotten even that concession to be like, okay, well, we're not going to give you fucking freeloaders free healthcare for the rest of your life, you know, carte blanche, but at least through 18, like, come on. I mean, pre Obamacare, that was a lot of what Medicaid was used for was poor children. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the system kind of molds itself to fit those needs in imperfect ways, but like, to me, that just makes so much sense. Or like, I don't know. Our, our system is just so unnecessarily cruel. Yeah. And I don't know about you folks, but I've, I've, I don't want to listen to this, but like, or the, the one at the end, the end part of this, but just Mark, uh, Mark approaches Gabe about a patient that he forgot about. Dr. Lawrence? Yeah, what's up? You told Mrs. Karras to wait here in chairs for a prescription over four hours ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Mrs. Karras. I, uh, I, I got tied up with other patients, and I, I, I completely forgot about it, and I'm very sorry. Uh, one pill every six hours, and uh, elevate your ankle, and ice it three times a day, okay? okay can I uh, talk to you in the lounge, please? Yeah. Thanks, Brenda. That's it? Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait a second. What is she doing? What is this? What's going on here? What the hell on, is, what the going, hell here, is going on here? What is this? Why is she taking off her ankle wrap? Dr. Lawrence, that's Brenda Brewer. She works up in accounting. She doesn't have an ankle injury, and you've never seen her before. You tricked me? Please, can we not do this out here? It's Please. been very busy here today. I had several ankle injuries. I got them confused. I went to see Renee Spielman. Gabe, Gabe. I I got nothing. I yeah, just it's. Mm. Alan fucking Aldi, y'all. That's what I'm gonna say. The way his voice starts to break when he says, "I got confused." Mm-hmm. Can't deflect your way out of that one. <sighs> but again, you can tell where that brilliance is because he looks at her and his brain immediately has those pathways. It says ankle injury. Okay. It's gotta be this medication this much this time. Like, yeah. like he, he, he knows his stuff so well in that regard. So again, going back to, he could be a great teacher. Like he can look at a patient and go, okay, this is probably what needs to be done. And at least have that level of recovery mm-hmm. to try and cover. But again, the fact that he's not remembering somebody he actually saw or did not see. Right. Yeah. But just ugh, it, it just shows how fucked up this is that there can be that level of detail and all those pathways still working. Yeah. But just certain stuff starts to melt away to where it's like you can't. And we'll, and we'll learn, too, by the end of the episode, just how much time he has had to practice mm-hmm. these skills and to hone this deflection, you know, down to a, a, a science. And um, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, the, when the voice cracks, that's when it just like really goes to another level. <sighs> and Carrie too, oh, chasing after oh, him. It just kills you. It just absolutely kills you. Uh, and it, as you hear at the end of that clip there, you know, it kind of perfectly dovetails into the next thing as we hear the heart monitor flatlining because we go back into the trauma room where Barry has passed uh, with his wife holding his hand and uh, Carter whispers the time of death to Lily uh, to be respectful. Uh, which creates a little bit of a timeline issue. I know this is a very, very stupid, bad time to bring up a pedantic thing, but like normally when they do time of death, they will do it in military time. 
So they will say, you know, like if it's four in the afternoon, it'll be sixteen thirty-two or whatever is time of death or whatever. Yeah, it should have been nineteen forty-two. So there's no confusion. Well, right, he says yeah. seven thirty-two or whatever, which if we're going by that same standard, means that it's seven thirty in the morning, which we right. haven't really discussed at this point that it's night shift or anything, and that it's we're working yeah. the overnight. No. So it's just kind of a strange well, choice. And it's- it's also really hard to tell with how rainy and dark it's been. What time of day it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But just, again, th- that's that's what we yeah. do is point out the stupid stuff that, that nobody – pick this apart to a degree totally. so Ex- that you can no longer enjoy Excellent. it. That's why we call it a pedantic ER retrospective. That's right. Yes. Excellent catch, Daniel. Uh, but we go from there. Reggie is asking if Carol is sure they want to bust Meg for drugs. So they are in Reggie's squad car parked across the street from some building. Hard to tell if it's behind the pharmacy that she works at or just some other random building. Um, and he, you know, <laughs> Reggie, f- despite being the cop here, is like, you know, trying to be the voice of reason here and is like, prison isn't really the best place to have a baby uh and carol is you know all in on her white knight shit here and it's just like you know hey it's at least she won't be high or whatever uh so as soon as meg and the drug dealer go to make their deal the cops swarm in a drug sting that they put together remarkably quickly i might add because there's like five cop cars that zoom in on this and also too they they make mention at some point that like he had weed on him and like a few other like pills. And I'm like, you basically have a SWAT team's worth of people descending on this like handoff minor drug deal. Oh, Daniel. Oh, Daniel. Let me tell you all about how hilariously incompetent the Chicago police department is. I guess. (laughs) And how much they waste their resources. I guess. Oh, Daniel. But just, I guess it's simultaneously impressive and stupid how much res- how many resources they're dedicating to this and how quickly they managed to pull it together because ostensibly Carol alerted them to this whole thing this afternoon. Um, but in any event, Carol is watching all these events unfold from the car. Uh, and when Meg sees, uh, as she's brought over uh, to her own squad car, Meg sees her and screams at her about how she ruined her life. And not great, fam. Not great. And let's be real. We're not dealing with criminal masterminds here. So even if you just have a squad car at each alley entrance. Right. That's the thing. I don't think this this seemed like overkill. Like, I don't think we needed this many cop cars for what is ostensibly weed and some pills. But. Hey, it's legal now. Right? I know. know. Yeah. (laughs) What a difference two decades makes. Overpriced as fuck, but it's legal in Illinois. Anyway, uh, Carrie's asking Lucy where Gabe is and because he still hasn't come back and. Dave admits to her that he may have been the use the last to use the Bunsen burner, and he's not 100% sure that he turned it off. And it turns out, nope, there was actually just a ruptured pipe in the wall. Lovely. Um, and Carrie tells him he needs to be more... <laughs> I, swear, I swear to God, like, if people, if we were allowed to just say fuck on this show, Carrie would have said, be more fucking careful. <laughs> like, <laughs> She's having a day, all right? Yeah. And she calls and leaves a message for Gabe. I love I love how uh, much and how hard in the last episode uh, she put the fear of God in him about the whole uh, leg thing that when she's dressing him down here about needing to be more careful, which she's doing in a very respectful, very restrained way. He's still like immediately meek and is like, yes, ma'am, like <laughs> walks away like it's just perfect. 
Uh, Carter is working on his charts in trauma, and Mr. Bernero comes in and asks about his son's chart because it says diabetes on it. He's like, I, it's a pre-existing condition at this point. I can't, you know, I can't afford this insurance. Like, he goes over his points again to Carter and pleads with him to try and, like, redact or destroy the chart so he can at least get it covered by insurance in three months. Just... How nice is it that that's really not that much of a thing anymore? Yeah, I would be screwed. Yeah. With my epilepsy, if I... Like, when I had switched from my mom's insurance to my own, I would have been yeah. fucked. Mm-hmm. Mm. We go from there to the suture room where Mark is trying to salvage the charts he was working on. They got destroyed when the uh, sprinklers went off earlier. Uh, Carol comes in to uh, talk about the Meg thing. She's back from her sting. Back from her foray into Chicago Police Department escapades. Uh, and... Now, apparently, she's having second thoughts. Now that she's put the pregnant woman behind bars, now she's having second thoughts. Yeah, now it's now it seems harsh. Now she's put her in the system. Right, yeah. yeah. And Mark, uh, Mark with the perfectly adorable quaint line here of, we can go drown our sorrows in a couple of ginger ales. If that's not a Lauren I was line, just I getting ready to is. say that. That line has such intense Lauren energy. Uh, <laughs> Carol has to uh, decline, however, saying that... Uh, the girls are throwing me a surprise baby shower. I'll be sure and look surprised. <laughs> uh, and then she does uh, get into a little bit here. Talks about how she's missing Doug and uh, how they haven't talked. And that he uh, frequently calls and leaves messages when he knows that she's not going to be around. So that uh, she doesn't have to talk to him if she doesn't want to. And uh, we get a very, very brief. They don't. Martin. The, the fickle beast that he is, Martin gives us a taste of the Doug and Carol theme, but he doesn't let it play all the way. Like it, which I think is a really interesting stylistic choice because he basically does kind of let about half of it go before he cuts it off because we only have half of the equation. You can't do, 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 do. Yeah. You, you can't have the Doug and Carol theme without Doug and Carol. So because we only get Carol, we only get half the theme. And I think that's a very, very bold stylistic choice. Um, but, uh, we go back out to the admit desk. Carter, uh, has removed the last page of, uh, the kid's chart and is loudly complaining, uh, both for, <laughs> both for his own purposes and for the purposes of the kid about how, uh, it's missing. So he's going to have to do a whole new chart for this kid with the stomach flu and that he can go home. So Carter is going to play ball for at least a little while. Uh, and we go to our, uh, next audio clip, uh, Jeannie has shown up and is looking for Carrie. Randy, have you seen Carrie? Um, curtain two. Hey, how's the baby? He's doing great. We're having a baby shower for Carrie in a couple of minutes. You ought to stop by. Yeah, I'll try. Okay, hang a banana bag and try to dress those abrasions. I think he fell on his face again. Carrie, Malik called, said it was important I come in. Yeah, you know, I checked your time cards and you've worked two days in the last three weeks. We depend on you down here. And when you call in at the last minute, it, it just makes it tough on everybody else. I'm not coming back. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it tough on everybody. I, d I didn't intend to. I should have come to talk to you earlier. Well, I is everything all right? I've never been happier. I have Reggie and the baby, and every time I'm at work, I want to be home with them. <laughs> That's great. So... If you need me to work a few shifts before no, you find someone. No, somebody. no, no. But as the baby gets older and doesn't need you so much, call me. There will always be a job for you here. Thanks, Carrie. 
I'm gonna miss you. I'm gonna miss you. No big deal. Just Jeannie Boulay casually showing up in the last ten minutes of her final episode to say goodbye. Yeah. No big deal. Not quite the not quite her final appearance yet, but her final meaningful conversation and her only conversation in the show. Yeah, really. I mean, it's her in the in, in this, this episode, in this episode rather. Yeah, that's really. If you're looking for like her goodbye, that's basically it. I mean, yes, she has one more scene, but she's not really she's not gonna really say anything. And uh, yeah, this is um, kind. If I'm being honest, kind of a wet fart. <laughs> like we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll we'll get into it certainly in the next scene, and by extension, the the main character retrospective that'll be up in a few days after you're hearing this. But it's um, patreon.com slash the tone podcast not my favorite way a character has ever been written out like it's just does not seem to give her the kind of significance uh and, and i think it's particularly they it's made particularly bittersweet by the fact that we know that she doesn't actually get a happy ending like they're making it seem they're making it seem like jerry uh, that uh, genie <laughs> jerry they're making it seem jerry, like jerry gets a good they're ending. making it seem like genie is getting everything she deserves and is like finally getting the happiness and the like peace that she has always kind of been craving ever since this HIV diagnosis completely derailed her life. And none of that is going to stick. And that's what sucks. I I will say, I do love at least that it's her goodbye to yes. Carrie because of how their friendship has been over the past. As a, as a seasons. moment between the two of them, what, what this should have been, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen them maybe, stretch this out another week maybe you know it's certainly been no big thing over the last season and a half to have Jeannie just not be in an episode so I would have punted to next week and I would have said hey you know like let's make the entire episode about Jeannie like show Jeannie at home struggling with how she would rather be at home with Carlos and Reggie and and not in the ER anymore and how you know and we And having conversations with Reggie. About right. Having conversations with Reggie. Having like. conversations with Carrie. One more. Give me one more moment between Jeannie and Benton. Even if it's in passing. Like, just give me one more mm-hmm. moment between the two of them. And we don't get any of that. This is all we get. And it's it's a good moment. It's a nice moment. But it should have been one of many. It should not have been the only one. And that's what I think kind of sucks about it. But it is a very nice sentiment between the two of them. And I, I really like Carrie's sentiment, too, of how, you know, if she ever wants to come back and I feel like that was probably because of again we will get into this more on the retrospective and we talked about this with Gloria Rubin when we talked to her what seems like ages ago now was that this was very much a Gloria Rubin decision rather than a an ER writer's decision like Gloria Rubin was just kind of tired of playing Jeannie at this point Gloria Rubin wanted to go do different things with her life so I feel like when Carrie says there will always be a job waiting for you here that's also the writers telling Gloria if you ever want to come back just let us know like we're not writing you out it's not that we don't like you it's that you are ready to move on and you are ready to go do other things and that's fine and we respect that but the door is always open so that's a good way that's a nice way to look at it that's yeah that's how I interpreted it yeah uh but let's uh, go to another audio clip. Uh, Benton is dropping off Reese at Carla's. Hey. Hello, baby. <laughs> oh, Roger is going to pick him up at your place later. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, actually, you know what? I called him and told him I was going to drop Reese off myself. Roger! Yeah? Reese is here. Hey, I, um... I got this DNA kit. Tesla paternity. And? And I'm not going to use it. I'm going to throw it away. Why? Carla, 
I put my hand on your stomach when you were pregnant. And I felt him move. I was there when he was born and all those nights in the NICU. I wake up in the morning, that little boy is the first thing on my mind. I go to sleep at night, he's the last. I love him. He's my son. I don't care about biology. I don't need some damn DNA kit to tell me that. I don't have a whole lot in my life, Colin. My career. Jackie and her kids and that boy. He means more to me than all the rest of them combined. I lay down in front of a train for him. That's how I love him. So I'm asking, I am. I'm asking you. Please. I would like to petition right away here and now that whenever we do the inevitable, well, well when we do the inevitable Eric LaSalle retrospective, I want this to be, this clip to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is for my money, one of my, one of my favorite Benton moments in the mm -hmm. entire show. And, and such a like, man, if you were at all skeptical about where the Benton character was going to go or how it was all going to play out at, you know, the end of season one or early season two when he's in peak like robo Benton mode where he is just all about his career doesn't give a shit about anyone or anything other than his own career advancement show them this scene with no context like just mm -hmm. man like that I would have been I would have been like all right well I clearly need to watch the intervening four seasons there to to get all the to get caught up here because clearly some shit has happened to this guy to go from where he is at, at season one or two to where he is in this moment. Like he says it, he's like my yeah. career. Pfft. Like imagine, try to, which blew my try mind. Try to imagine season one or two Benton saying my career Pfft. and just brushing it aside. Oh, so good. I love this man so much. Yeah. This is the Benton we were waiting for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is the Benton I'm glad we have for the next couple seasons. You're also, I just, sorry, I also want to know at the very beginning of that audio clip when Carla tells uh, Roger that um, Reese is here, you hear Roger go, my mm -hmm. man. Because I know, and that's that's another <laughs> yeah. thing that I really kind of like about the way this storyline is portrayed is that they've never, they never really, at least not to my knowledge or to my memory, and obviously we're going to get different Roger once uh, we get to the, the custody yeah. battle, um, but they never really portray Roger as a bad guy. Like Rogers, no, no. Roger loves Reese just as much as Benton does, you know, and has just as much right to be involved in his life. And he's not yeah. trying to replace Benton. He's not trying to edge him out, at least not at this point. You know, it's we'll just... see when we get to the custody stuff. But like, I don't know, like Roger's just a dude and he's like just yeah. happy to like hang out with this kid that he really loves. And, you know, his girlfriend happens to be a little crazy or his wife, maybe at this point, I forget. But like, you know. Wife. Yeah, the wife yeah. At this point. like she happens to be a little bit nutty, but you know, 
the kid is is great and he has no problems with Benton. Like I think he would like to be friends with Benton, but Benton just doesn't want to be friends with him. But I would also like to point out too that when you hear him in the background, that is definitely the actor who's playing him, which means that he got called in for work just to give his voice from the other room. <laughs> Never actually appear on camera, but yell his voice from the other room. It's the little continuity bits. <laughs> if you if you're gonna blow if you're gonna uh, mess up the other continuity bits earlier in this episode. You gotta, you gotta make gotta up keep, for it. Gotta keep. Yeah, exactly. Also, you're right. Brees has three loving yeah, parents. He does, mm-hmm. and that's and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Can confirm it's pretty great. Uh, but then from there we go over to baby the baby shower at Admit. Carol lies and says she had no idea at all. And as they're starting to celebrate, a uh, Malik tells Carrie that Gabe is in trauma too. And prefacing this, <laughs> so are we. this clip with yeah, oh. uh, prefacing this clip uh, with the fact that yes, it is just clocks in at just over four minutes, but all of it is absolutely necessary. And maybe think, might want to might want to grab a Kleenex. Uh, think we're gonna cry again? Yeah, this is this Lauren and I simultaneous tears when it, we were taking notes. Yes, from the very at the very end of this clip. So let's get into it. Where have you been? Out walking by the lake. I was worried about you. When despair for the world grows in me, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. And for a time, I rest in the peace of the world and am free. How can I remember a William Blake poem I memorized over 30 years ago and not remember that I saw a woman with a sprained ankle this afternoon? I started to notice something was wrong about a year ago. You know, memory loss and not being able to find the right word. I went to Boston to see an old classmate of mine, a neurologist. He did a PET scan and it showed bilateral hypoperfusion to the parietal areas. He started me on Aricept. It's supposed to put the brakes on on the Alzheimer's, but I guess guess it, uh, it didn't help enough. Ross Chow is doing great work upstairs at the Comprehensive Dementia Center. You should go see her. What for? I have a progressive neurologic disorder. They're working with neurotropins and antioxidants. Maybe you could get into a clinical trial. I was thinking of committing suicide. I can't figure out the best time to do it. Too early and I'll, I'll miss what little life I have left. 
I wait too long, I won't remember to do it. God, I'm gonna miss this, you know. You know, medicine has been my whole life. No. No, you could stay on and you could lecture the medical students and the residents. But not see patients, right? Gabe, you are a brilliant doctor and you are a wonderful teacher. Please, please don't give up those gifts. I saw a woman this morning. Dementia. She had... She had no idea where she was. She didn't, she didn't know who she was. In ten years, that'll be me. Bedridden. In diapers. Locked away in some home. Nobody coming to see me. I'll come and see you. Yeah, but I won't I won't know you're there. I might have cried if you hadn't been staring lasers into my soul that whole video. I'm, I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah. I, I managed not to this time, but holy shit, that last line. I did. Yeah. We took a minute for Lizzie, but yeah, that last line is just murder. That'll get you there. That'll that'll do it. Yeah. And that poem reading is absolutely divine. Yeah. Wow. That, I mean, yeah. Oh, my God. That's which I, I want to give what what could be an error, but I choose to believe is a piece of subtle subtlety in the writing that, you know, he mentions that the poem was written by William Blake, but it was actually written by somebody named Wendell Berry, which could be a subtle thing in the writing that he memorized this poem 30 years ago. But ne and he's still able to recall the poem, but not who wrote it. And mm, I wouldn't have even thought of that as, yeah. as it. So good catch, Daniel. But... Uh, no credit to me. I was completely caught by the IMDb hey. goof section. But hey, still good, good, good anyway. Yeah. And yeah, that last part just breaks me because as I'm as I know, I've talked about before, my grandma went her mm -hmm. eventual decline was because of Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and just those last few times that we went to see her. Yeah, she had no idea who I was. She had no idea who we were. It's a hard, hard thing yeah, to I... reconcile. Yeah, and once I got to that point, I just couldn't go see her anymore because it hurt yeah. too much. I like to think that even though there were days where my dad was much slower to have that light come on, even at the end, um, I'm gonna make myself go here, but it's worth it for this. Um, even at the end, when when he about a week before he passed there was still 
something down in there that um made us know that he knew and it was just i'm grateful that even when he was nonverbal and everything was as you know gabe described it at the end there was still that that bit there but that just that fear was there every time we'd go see him so hi this is stt cries with lauren and lizzie and daniel as as our as our beautiful shining face on the other end but yeah, this was this was what I was waiting for when Gabe showed up. Was I knew yep. this conversation was going to be what absolutely destroyed yeah. me. And we're fine. Just, it's it's okay. Just just the, <laughs> just the part where he's not sure when he wants to kill himself. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That and I, and I think that is part of what I. That's something I worry it, about. It doesn't. It like this is a storyline that that seems tailor-made for a show like this. Like you would think that a show that went as long as ER did covering the subject matter that it did, you would think that they would get around to telling a story about this eventually. And I think a lesser show would have pulled a lot of punches with it. And I don't think would have gone there and, and gone to that internal monologue that he's clearly had with himself that like, again, as we've talked about throughout again and again, throughout the storyline that like, I don't think anybody knows better what, what is happening to this man than Mm -hmm. he does being a doctor and having so much experience with it like nobody knows sooner and nobody knows better than he does what he's going through and um yeah yeah like just letting letting out those feelings of like you know maybe i should just end this all for myself and maybe i should just you know make it easier on everybody around me and it's this this is the the as hard as it is to watch like this is the the good shit like this is the stuff that makes this show mm-hmm. as hard to watch sometimes but you still find yourself coming back for more kind of mentality like it is so every part of this is so perfect his performance mean, and obviously he's Alan Alda like he's not going to give a bad <laughs> yeah. performance you're not going to get a bad performance out of Alan Alda but this is arguably maybe Laura Innes's best moment on the show. Like this is maybe like pound for pound her best performance, like in a single scene. She just goes absolutely toe to toe for him with that. I, I bookmark this one for the right? eventual carry retrospective. I was, I was also going to say, I hope one day if we ever get to speak to Laura Innes, that this, this whole story arc is one that I want to just a, praise her for and just fangirl with her for but also just ask her what it was like to do something this profound with alan alda yeah not just work with alan alda work right with alan alda like dig deep with that man because fuck they are so believable as mentor and mentee together and i'm sorry no 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 no, no, that's fine i mean it's just every it's not only the performances of the actors but it's also you know it's again it's what makes this show great it's that every aspect of it is always on its a game you know like the 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 way that it's shot is incredibly well done and not over stylized and the score behind it is incredibly well done and not over stylized like martin talked about that in his interview he was talking about it in the context of trauma scenes but it, this is a different kind of trauma scene. Uh, <laughs> internalized trauma. Um, but this is like, th- he talked about it in the context of trauma scenes of like yielding to the moment and yielding to uh, the room, you know, like in, in a trauma scene, your, your, your score sometimes needs to yield to all the beeping of the machines 
and the phone ringing and people yelling and all the other stuff. And this is a similar type situation, like in a different way. Like it, it yield. You could overdo this moment with a lot of sappy music and a lot of like you're supposed to feel sad kind of music. And there's a little bit of that, but not too much. Like he knows he's such a fucking master at that. Like he knows just how far to push it up to the line, and then back off, and then just let you fucking deal with your bullshit and just come crash. Feel your feelings. Yeah, just come crashing down at the end of it. And yeah. Man, this is such like, and and this doesn't even end the episode. There's still one more scene to go. Like, yeah, one more, one more, and one more, and one more episode with comparison. with Alan Alda. Like, this could have also yeah. very easily I, I been the end of that. I completely forgot, completely forgot that he still has one more. I thought this was it. Yeah, he still has one more. So, I mean, uh, what more can you really say? I mean, this is. I, I'm not ready to be hurt more. <laughs> well. I mean, to, to wrap up the episode, one final scene, we go to the, the lounge where Jeannie is cleaning, clearing out her locker one last time, uh, takes down all of her pictures and stuff, and then uh, finally takes her nameplate off of the locker and uh, steps out and just kind of slips out the door without stopping at the baby shower. And we follow her out through the ambulance bay as the camera pulls away and we fade to black. And I was really surprised. I had to go back and check for myself uh, because I was convinced that it was. Uh, but her name tag is not on the name of wall, the the name tag wall mm. uh, in fourteen or fifteen or whatever that is. Oh, um, 14. 14. Oh, no, fifteen. There's only it fourteen first, and then... right, it's fifteen. Yeah, it is fifteen. It is fifteen. Yeah, I was like, so I thought we see it with Abby it is. first. Okay. Because um, canonically speaking, there's only one name tag on that wall that doesn't make sense, and we will get to that when we get there, but there's only one name tag on the wall of name tags that there isn't at least a conceivable possibility that their name tag could have found its way onto the, the wall. Um, stay tuned for three years. Stay, yeah. Stay tuned for whenever we get to that. Episode. Four years. Um, yeah. but yeah, I was like shocked. I was like, she has to drop it off at the desk. Cause of course it has to make it onto the, the name tag wall at the end. And like, but nope, she pulls it down off the wall or off the, the locker and takes it with her and off, off she goes into the night. And it's a very disappointing right. end for uh, one of I think I think maybe our first favorite character. Mm-hmm. Yes. When we started doing this, like yes, I think Jeannie. I mean, we named an award after her on the yeah. Tony. Yeah. It's the goddamn Gloria Ruman. Right. Award. I mean, Jeannie has meant so much to us in so many different ways. Like she was our first favorite character on this rewatch. She was the first person we really gushed over, and you know, in a selfish way, she was the first. You know big cast person that we actually got to talk to in person and like yeah, not not to deride any of not, the other but cast like main we cast talked to, but like yeah like yeah. credit cast right credited main cast. credited cast main people credits. people yeah. who we you know have to talk about for long periods of time and like there's big meaty things for us to dig into with them like she was the first person to basically acknowledge our existence like she was the first yeah, person yeah. to even you know be like hey that's cool that you know like and like it's not like she's our best friend or anything but I mean, I like to brag that she follows us on Twitter and Instagram. Like, I like to brag. And occasionally and like, likes our yeah. stuff. Yeah. I like to brag that, like, we've we at least got to share a Zoom me- meeting room with her for a time mm-hmm. and, like, get to, like, pick apart this character who meant so much to so many people. And you can tell through when we talk to her, clearly means, still to this day, means so much to her. Like, she still has a lot of affection in her heart for Jeannie Boulay, the mm-hmm. character. Yeah, she gets choked up thinking about yeah. Jeannie right. Boulay. 
And I think that's what is so kind of bittersweet about seeing her go in such a, I mean, it is and it isn't, you know, like, I don't think Jeannie as a character, yes, she deserves the Doug Ross treatment when it comes to a send off. She deserves an episode centered entirely around her, but not in the same way. Doug was, was chaos. Doug was a a chaos incarnate and And left with chaos. Right. and, And deserved a send off as such. But Jeannie has always been this like understated grace. Like she deserved a graceful send off. And and in many ways, you know, this is that, that she just quietly slips out the door, doesn't make a fuss and doesn't want all the attention on her. But I still think that she deserved an episode that showcased her in a better way than this one did, where it just kind of shoves her in the back door in the last 10 minutes of the episode. I felt that was a little, um, did a disservice to the character. And I, as we'll get into on the retrospective, I uh, absolutely 100% hate her season 14 return. And just not that I hate to see her come yeah, back, yeah, yeah. but I hate that they ruined her happy ending. Yeah. Because as of right this moment, oh. she has a happy ending. Season 14 was a hot mess in so many goddamn ways. But we're not there yet. <laughs> anyway. uh, as for this episode, I think I'm going to give it a 9.5. I'm a solid nine. Because with that, with that Benton monologue with Carla, with, the got just Gabe, goddamn, Gabe Lawrence, you perfect human being, Alan Alda, you wonderful, magnificent bastard, um, and yeah, just it all comes together so well here. But like, I felt too many feelings, and I have to give it high marks for that because mm-hmm. this was one of the ones where I think, like Daniel said, this is we're watching ER. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said so, that. Okay, I couldn't. You, you all blend together to me. I I don't remember what, <laughs> what happens episode hell? to episode. You're all the same person. It's fine, but um. No, it's, I barely remember what we've watched each week. <laughs> Work with me. Um, you know the day I had today. But, yeah, I just, I, when, when something ostensibly makes me, I'm going to use actual feeling words here because I know beautiful friend of the show, Drew, will kill me if I just say I felt my feels. Um, it, it was morose, and it was beautiful, and it was, it was the regrets of old age, and it was the hopes of, a father wanting to keep his son and it was just it was all of these big things contained in this one beautiful microcosm of an episode and they did it so well that like yeah it would have been a 10 but the fat shamey diabetes shit just yeah that's why that's why i took that's why i took a point off yeah i could say 99.5 with that but overall like it yeah this was this is one of my favorite episodes that we've watched so far Mm -hmm. broke my fucking heart but so fucking good yeah i mean the all at all the thing for me is top yeah Probably top ten moments all time on this entire show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like me. I said, in a in a Sally Fieldless world, I think he would run away with the best guest star that the show ever had. Oh, absolutely! Like, yes, and he's 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 a solid one A second place second yeah one A or second place however however you want to describe it. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, I think uh, episode of the season thus far, um, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. best episode and of six all- so far. And we're only six in, Jesus. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Six is good. Six is really good. And yeah. I, like, I was saying that again. Uh, I think I was talking to Aaron uh, recently. Like <laughs> Six has been the most consistently like fire uh, ratio of episodes to start a season. That <laughs> Vindication. We've had I'm sorry. I'm laughing for our listeners. I'm laughing at Lizzie's absolute just vindicated face. Yeah. The I told you so is burning out of her We've, eyes right now. When I, when I tell you six through eight is my favorite shit, 
It's shit. It's stuff like this. Well, I mean, I and you're you're you've been so far. You're being proven right because I mean, we've had seasons where we've had like a really strong opener and then it doesn't sustain that momentum or we've had kind of a like ho-hum opener but then we've kicked up the the volume or we've had ones like four where it's just this uneven up and down thing good one bad one you know we don't talk about four <laughs> but you know that this has been the one where every single episode we, we are six for six on at least pretty darn good and like yeah. we haven't had a even so much as just an okay episode thus far. Everyone has been at least pretty good, and some like this one have been like excellent A tier all time great episodes. And we're he- we're hurtling towards some of the best mid season. Yeah, some of the best stuff in the entire show mid season. So, hmm. what do the listeners have to say about this one, more? Hold my pajama. Okay. Haley K says this episode is so bittersweet. I felt so sad for Carrie for what Carrie had to do with Gabe and the last scene between the two of them was so good and heartbreaking. She's having to say goodbye to her father figure and the person who taught her everything she knows when it comes to medicine. It's so sad. The rain having a moment here was a nice touch and the moment between Carter and Weaver with the umbrella was cute. I'm not the only one who noticed. (laughs) Carter working with Mr. and Mrs. Connolly was so sweet and you could see how scared he was through some of it. Like he didn't want to mess up again. His reticence was great. Excellent use of the word reticence. Halei putting Dave in his place was perfect and another reason why she is the best. During the open heart trauma with Dave and Gabe, the music that's playing is the same as as an Exodus. I'm sorry, let's give me pajama back. (laughs) The music that's playing is the same as an Exodus. Props to friend of the pod, Martin Davich, for that one. And of course, saying goodbye to our friend Jeannie was so sad. I'm going to miss her. I'm glad she's happy with her little family, but I'm still going to miss having her around. And despite what Canon may say, Carlos and Jeannie are still happy and doing good things in Chicago. I will stand by that. At About Bunnies on Twitter says, Halle making the pneumonia diagnosis because Malucci is too incompetent to do it. And then telling Lucy about it. I love you, Halle. Benton talking so passionately about how he loves Reese and begging Carla not to take him away. God damn, Eric LaSalle. So, so good. And then we have Alan Alda. He is just so fucking good in this role. As much as I love Gloria Rubin, I think the final scene should have been Gabe and Carrie's. I'll just be over here rocking and crying quietly in a corner. At SMB for the win says, my ADHD is in overdrive this week, so this is going to be a short one for me. How the ever-loving fuck did the writers pass up the opportunity for Corday to completely rip Romano to shreds with his sperm donor comment? Like, it would have been the perfect time to put him in his place, and with Benton watching nonetheless. Not even a G, Robert, are you sure they aren't paying you to not donate? Also, my headcanon is the Lizzie pulls out an emergency bottle of booze, and even Peter thinks this is a situation that requires booze. Because it does. Ironically, sperm banks don't want redheads right now, which would have been another funny comment. Never forget that Robert Romano is canonically a ginger, because if yep. you saw mm-hmm. Paul McCrane in the 80s, that beard. you'll know. And that beard. We even saw it with his little goatee. But, okay, um, I, I'm just going to say this right now. Aaron, Aaron B., this one goes out to you, but my God, dude, I had a, <laughs> I had a day of six-hour interviews or not interviews six hour meetings and work phone calls today and you're about to make me read this this is how much i love you and our listeners here we go at the full-time dad there's a lot to unpack here let's start with Jeannie boulet's exit the embrace with carrie the 
the denouement of such complex and incredibly well-written relationship, you could argue that it was the show's most important sororal relationship. Gloria Rubin's walk from County General embodies everything we loved about her character. Dignified, hopeful, confident, and about what was to come, if only the writers would have let us hold on to that final memory. Back to the episode. This episode subtly introduces some key characters down the line. The old lady who will become Carter's last patient, I know it's technically Abby's, but still, before his life-altering stabbing, and the diabetic kid whose storyline will underscore Carter's recklessness post-stabbing. It also gives us Eric LaSalle's most powerful monologue of his ER tenure. His impassioned plea to Carla to not take Reese to Germany is a top five moment in the show's entire run in my book. It's in such a packed episode, it often gets forgotten, but it never fails to choke me up. While I usually have a strong snitches get stitches policy about life, I can't fault Carol for looking out for the unborn child who was about to be born to a woman who had such ill regard for its existence. Meg, you deserved this. And finally, Gabe. The storyline to this point has been a masterclass in writing and performing a guest star arc by all parties involved. Alan Alda's final scene of the episode is, a beautiful, is beautiful in a 10-ton piano crushing your soul kind of way. Carrie's tearful plea is perhaps Laura Innes' most beautiful moment on the show, and her breakdown during her talk with Mark is right up there too. But the moments that are so underrated are the looks on, Alan, on Alda's face when he sees the dementia patient and it gives him a glimpse into where his journey is headed, and the look on Renee's face when Carrie tells her that she hired Gabe at County. Powerful moments we often overlook as fans. Sorry for the treatise. There's just so much to love about this loaded episode. Could have done without the explosion, though. <laughs> P.S. There was, it, oh yeah, there was an explosion that. in this episode? <laughs> uh, P.S. Andrew Bowen's Keanu Reeves is superb. P.P.S. I missed the Doug and Carol theme. It's been way too long. Mm. What a testament to how much this episode opens up your chest cavity and shits in your soul that we all <laughs> fucking forgot that there was an explosion at the beginning of this episode. And and I honestly, I already forgot about Meg, too. So that just shows, like... It's the power of Alan Alda. <sighs> yeah. Truly. Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. We love ranting about Alan Alda, and we love, to, we love that you love to hear it. Uh, the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash the tone podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 30 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever was going on for us in our lives at that moment, movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and flash forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Tone Podcast. And we are at Sighting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Sighting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u.el. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me talking about picking up my mash watch through for the 80th time on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. And they can also find me on the Popular Courts YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Diablo 3 with Lizzie she on Wednesdays. You have other things you can talk about. Let me have this. 
you can also you can find me on Twitter. I'm at random gamer. That's J M three R. As also on the popular course YouTube channel, playing Diablo three with Lauren, um, and also doing a let's play of Mass Effect two every Friday by myself. No Lauren's allowed. Uh, new episodes that are out every Friday. You can find those videos and much, much more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone. And have a great week. <laughs>